Hi, Frank. It is almost the end of the year. Yes, it is December. And I thought it would be a good time to look back on the year. Now, we're going to definitely look fully back on the year. But before we look fully back on the year, I figure it's been 11 months. And I remember that you, Frank Krueger, about a year ago, put some telemetry in your application. I just want to see how that was going. And since you've done that, if you've actually take actionable item, because I think in you know, the years since I've been a mobile developer, I've always put telemetry in my applications, but I never did anything with it. And I know that you love queries and math and data. And if there was somebody that was actually going to do stuff with the data, it was going to be Mr. Frank Krueger. So I'm ready for the Frank Krueger telemetry data insights update of 2019. Hit me. Woohoo. Okay, we're going to talk about spreadsheets and columns and statistics and graphs. I'm so excited. Um, yeah, actually, I pitched this idea. So I am excited. Because uh, I was looking back, I think we've talked about a lot of things. And I usually say something along the lines of, that sounds like a good idea. I wonder what the data would show. I wish I had that data. I should totally add analytics to my apps. And it took me uh, eight or nine years to do that. And I finally did it. And I finally have data. Uh, you know, data comes in fast. And so I could have just looked at it for a day and gave you some feedback. But it's been a while. It's been nearly a year, as you said. So I'm excited for this. I'm excited to tell you the things that I was excited about. But I'm curious uh, what you think, too. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I first kind of want to know what types of telemetry did you put in and like what before we talk about the outcome, like by putting in the telemetry in case people didn't listen to that episode a year and a half ago, what what were you actually hoping to get out of the data to begin with? You know, yeah, actually, I started telemetry to catch errors. Um, I was always afraid that the app was crashing. It's just I think every app developer's greatest fear uh, that like maybe there's a whole user base out there that their app just crashes and you don't know. And so I didn't like not knowing. Um, and for some reason, I just wasn't using the uh, Apple system or if crashes were reported there, I couldn't tell how frequent they were. And they didn't relate back to C-sharp. So I started an adventure using, uh, you can use any of the millions of services out there, but I used App Center almost specifically because I think you or someone at Microsoft was like, hey, Frank, try out App Center. And so I'm like, yep, let's, let's just go for it. And hooked, hooked that puppy up. Okay, so you wanted to get the crash data on it. And yeah, App Center, that's what I've been using for a while for my analytics, crash reporting, things like that. And what did you find? Like, I mean, in general... Well, I'm sorry, I that, that was a bad lead-in. I, yeah. I started because of the errors. Oh, okay, okay, um, but, got it. Yeah, sorry. But during the process, um, I started adding in their events. Uh, so these are just things that you can randomly tag. Every event has a name, and then you can throw on uh, some metadata, just a dictionary key value store of strings to throw onto the events. And honestly, in the beginning, I wasn't sure which events would be important and which ones wouldn't be. Uh, but there was one piece of data that I've always kind of wanted, and that was which elements in iCircuit are used the most. Uh, so iCircuit's a circuit simulator. It has resistors, capacitors, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. People add them to circuits. Which ones are the most frequent? Like, 
can you believe I don't know that? <laughs> I can assume things, but I, I, I don't know that. Yeah, because as an electrical engineer yourself, you're going to have the assumptions that everybody is exactly the same as you, obviously, and would use the exact same circuits that you would use when you build it or in your test circuits. Um, and and that's I think that's how most people build applications, at least I do. So I'll, I'll say maybe not most people, at least that's how I build applications is I spend a lot of time on the sections of the applications or the pieces of the application that I think I'm going to use the most. However, I know definitely for sure that that's not always the case. So, um, so that's one thing. Okay. So crashes, you also want to see what circuits people were using. What else from the tracking? So these are two different services, crash, and then now we're in analytics, telemetry coming in. What else? There's some big ones, but the next biggest and maybe even the biggest one at the top, though, is one of the easier ones to get. But just which iOS version are people running? (laughs) Because I put a lot of effort into supporting very old iOS versions with the app. And I don't know whether that effort is worth it, (laughs) to be quite blunt. And because I don't know if the effort is worth it, I continue to do it. And um, I call myself an engineer, but that doesn't seem like a very engineering thing to say uh, or scientific. You're supposed to measure things and react to numbers and all that. But instead, I react to fear. (laughs) And my fear was that uh, people were using iOS version 2. I still assume people are using iOS version 2, and I wish I could provide updates for them. Yeah, and at some point, you are limited to the fact that Apple just won't even let you update things at some point and or makes it nearly impossible to to get all the old versions of Xcode or have the correct you know CI systems in place. So, all right, so that's good. That's good data to go. I, I love that type of telemetry because Apple will give you some and we talked about this. Apple will give you some. Google will give you some. But correlating that data together is important too. like once you start to say, OK, well, maybe I have one user, but that user like that, that user who has an iPad 2, gosh darn it, that won't update, um, that user is using my application nonstop because that would that would be the, the problem here, which is, oh, it's not that I have five users. Like if I have five users, I'm going to drop that support because who cares about those five users? What you actually really want to know is I have five super users and how do I make them happy still? or actually monetize that in some way. Because I think that's the important part from that telemetry that you can gain, which is, hey, I have maybe 90% of my users on iOS 13, but they're only actually 10% of my usage, which would be crazy to think about. And if you don't have the data, you literally don't know. I mean, you can't make that analysis, right? In general, which is kind of something to think about. when you build your application or think about putting telemetries in, it's not just about here's a bunch of numbers. It's how do you analyze those numbers with, with metrics It's something we do like all the time at work. I'm always, we're, we're customer driven, data driven and figuring out things, you know, there's telemetry everywhere. So. Yeah. Which, um, means it stinks to be in the minority (laughs) when you say like, Hey, this feature is really affecting me. And then someone comes back and well, statistically you're in the 1%. So good luck with that. That can be the frustrating part when there's numbers to back up your frustration and you wish you could 
sidestep that. But anyway, let's not talk about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you don't have the numbers, you have to assume the worst. And that means you have to put, I think, a little more effort in than I need to be. Um, <laughs> honestly, I was going in this into this data analysis with a bias. You're not supposed to do that. But my bias was um, iOS 9 is becoming frustrating to support. And I would love to make the minimum iOS version iOS 11. But iOS 11 is only a few years old. Like, can I do that? Is that a valid change to make to the app? Mm. It would clear up a lot of things in the app. Uh, an, an additional one along these lines of which architecture are people using 64-bit versus the other processors. But James... I couldn't answer that one. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, App Center does not record processor architecture. I really wanted that one though because I would love to drop 32-bit. <laughs> I guess could you wonderful? could you have perhaps gathered data of the device and then created an Excel spreadsheet correlating the device to the architecture, right? Because you yes. know the architecture. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, and it would be kind of a long spreadsheet. There are a lot of device models out there, it turns out. But uh, you're absolutely right. Yes, I could. Um, boy, that would be a nice service. Um, <laughs> might have to do that. Okay, yeah. So th that was the only piece of data that I wasn't able to get out of this. Uh, but I want to go way back to something you said. Um, you said that a bunch of these services provide you some data. I think you used the word kind of casually, but it came to be an actual problem for me because if you go to the App Center UI and sort by operating system list, it shows you the top five, five, five to 10, whatever. I forget the number uh, of those. Problem is, I want the entire list. <laughs> the top five is not good enough for me. So App Center is fantastic, especially the free cheers. They give you tons of great stuff. Um, but if you want to do some real data analysis digging, you have to sign up for something a little more expensive that they offer. And this is called, I forget what it's called, but it's its dumping all their data over to Azure and then using Azure Analytics to dig through the data. Let's call it Azure Analytics Dumping Service. That's no, what it's, they call it. It's called Application Insights. That's what it's called. <laughs> It's called we're dumping all the logs. Well, there's, the cloud. there's so there's two two options here. You can export your data to Blob Storage or put it into Application Insights. And Application Insights is that Azure thingy that you talked about, and it allows you to query over all of your data in really, really. Um, I mean, it's like a SQL query language. Like you could just use this. You query. It's a query like querying your data. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it's like a customized version of MS Access built only for Azure. It's kind of hilarious how accessy it is because once all the data is in there, you can write queries not using SQL, James. Why don't people just give me SQL? They invented their own query language, so yay. Fortunately, um, the text editor for the query language is pretty good and gives you like IntelliSense and all that. But if you don't know the query language, it's still going to take you a while to write your first few queries. And uh, a funny little thing that I ran into was there are so many UIs in 
Azure and Azure Insights and Application Insights, whatever it's called, that give you query languages. I never knew which one to use. There were just, was I creating a report? Was I doing a this? Was I doing a dashboard widget thinger? Um, eventually, I found out the best thing to do is just create dashboard um, query widgets. They seem to be the best thing. Uh, and just create a bunch of dashboards with all the data that you want. And that was a very productive way. I started creating reports, but they're very heavyweight. You have to like add them to a subscription and they take up resource groups. And I have no idea what any of that means. But if you just create a dashboard, you can start throwing uh, uh, data tables from queries and graphs from queries. So I got graphs too. And everybody loves graphs. That's right. You can just graph it up. And um, what's what I love about this as well, because now we're in the ops part of it, like this is like if you think of DevOps, like you're now in the the anal like you know you're the ops part is the part of taking that data that you've been gathering or your users have been giving you and then trying to make educated analysis of it. And some of that is sheer numbers, like you're talking about. Some of that is dashboards. I mean that you could create, and I, I do like that application insights lets you do a bunch of stuff from it. You can create a REST API. You can bring it into Visual Studio. There's Power BI dashboards. There's exporting from it. Like you get like what's funny is you could like import the data into application insights and then export your your query data out in another fashion. So it's kind of like you know funnels of data going all over the place, which is kind of ridiculous to think about you know have you actually done it because i couldn't quite figure out how to export the results of my queries so i would love for you to point that out to me sometime so i have to learn i knew how to create reports and i think you could export a report but i don't i couldn't figure out like a really lightweight to just export quick queries i'll need to look at it i mean i will say that there's a lot in application insights because application insights is used by everything if you have a if you have a website has application insights like basically for free. You just like say, give me application insights and done. And then it starts tracking stuff like crazy. But um yeah. You can uh you can definitely tell its origins are in the web because like every data column has request URL. <laughs> and so for an app that doesn't show up, it's not there. So no big one. Yeah. Um so actually a lot of their uh data tables you don't end up using the one that has all the good data is called custom events. I would have just called it events, but they call them custom events. <laughs> and um, inside custom events is something called like custom properties. Again, I would have just called it properties. Um, and inside custom properties, you can find um, uh, that little, uh, uh, well, the name of the event and that metadata, that dictionary of uh, key value pairs. And you can query through all of that using like dot syntax. So their query language is a little cool because you can dig into data structures like that. Yeah, I really do like that about it. I mean, you have to want figure it all out. But then once you do, I'm not a data person, to be honest with you. Every time I need something, I'm like, Pierce, Pierce, can you just run this telemetry query? Because I don't know what I'm doing in life. Um, but I used to do this. I used to do this for a bunch of the apps that I, I used to wrote. Because now what I do is, by the way, if we step back, what I do is I just look at the, the pretty charts and graphs that App Center gives me. I'm like, yep, yeah. seems good to me, um, <laughs> you know, and they give you the last 30, 90 days. Like I'm looking at Hanselman Forms, right, which is very minimal. But um, I should look at a real app. Let me look at like what I have here. OK, so if I have like Meetup Manager, that's a real app that I have in the store. 
and that puppy has um hundreds of uh, hundreds of users and yeah you get to see just a few top devices and a few os distributions you see three specifically by the way for me at least it's mm-hmm. based, based on the distributions and uh, some session duration i'm like oh this is good like you know people are using it because for me when i put telemetry in i basically care about um like how many users are using it and crashes but why i wanted to talk about this is because you specifically needed more data which is the the heavier part to think about so um did the question i have first before we get into the analysis that you did and everything did you actually ha- get enough data from this to answer your questions right because you went in with questions did you have a did you have assumptions like did you do a hypothesis like scientific method on this at all like did you have the questions then the the like <laughs> assumptions and then like did you validate it like did you go through those steps like and did you have enough data a- along the way to to make the analysis oh that's very scientific um yes and no no in that um i i didn't have a great hypothesis other than what i said before about my constant worry that a bunch of ipad 2 users are using the app constantly and no one's using it on modern devices what I was more thinking about, which I decided to do, was my decision criteria. So if 10% of people are using iOS 9, would I be okay with dropping them? So I tried to pick a percent number. Humans are terrible at percents. Um, it's, it's not a great practice. Like You never can pick a great number. But I decided, before I even look at the data, this is a number that I'm going to say... I'm I'm definitely careful with, like for you, James. If I said it was 0.001 percent of users, would you be okay with dropping them? Probably. Uh, probably. No. no? Maybe. Probably. I mean, yes, yes. I would oh, say oh, yes. One percent. <laughs> yes. Yes. One percent okay. probably. But it depends on your scale, a, right? Yeah. I I asked a friend this question, and uh, they said twenty percent. Wow. If 20% of people are using it, they would still be uh, comfortable dropping. Yeah. So mm. I, I, I picked lower numbers than that. I was so thinking what was your, more. What was your number? Uh, I, I didn't have an exact one, but let's call it like 2 to 5% or 0 to 5%, I guess. 5% at the top, but I, I would want to actually dig in even deeper and look at which devices they're using and what their scenario is, that kind of stuff. Because you mentioned correlations earlier. Uh, everything's recorded at a user level. And so every event has a user attached to it. Every user has a region, which 50-50 is accurate or not. Who knows? But sometimes has data. Uh, and a few other, uh, what, what's the most important? Like device model and region. Like I wanted, if people are using iOS 9, I wanted to know why. Were they? Was it all because of one certain device was it all in a certain area? That kind of thing. Um, yeah. So I picked a, a lower number with caveats. Nice. Yeah, that's a good idea. I like that. Okay. Before we find out even more, let's thank our sponsor this week, our good friends over at Syncfusion. Listen, you know Syncfusion. You love Syncfusion. I love Syncfusion. I use Syncfusion in all my applications. In fact, Meta Manager uses Syncfusion. And I'm about to drop a whole bunch of hotness on Hanselman Forms with Syncfusion because they have over 145 
controls for any application that you're building. Yes, Xamarin applications, but web with ASP.NET, UWP, JavaScript, Angular, Blazor, WinForms, WPF, React, Vue, they got it all. Their controls are stunning. Charts, graphs, but a whole lot more. I love sometimes the little things that they have, like these little effects, that little ripple effects that are inside there, or the fact that they have these great little shimmers, like things are loading and they go, that's the sound. They don't make that sound, but in my mind, that's what it does, right? But they have all these crazy big controls too, like PDF viewers and image editors, and they have an entire file format framework for Excel, PDF, Word, and PowerPoint to read, write, and do all that stuff. Listen, you got to get Syncfusion. Go to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict to learn all about their amazing controls. They are actually um, part of Visual Studio Dev Essentials. So if you're part of that, you get some Syncfusion and they have a community license. There's literally no reason not to be trying Syncfusion. Go to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict to learn more. And thanks Syncfusion for sponsoring this week's pod. Thanks Syncfusion. Still love their... uh... I love their calculator thing. I still think about their calculator thing all the time. <laughs> I tried to look at it and I couldn't figure it out. So you're going to have to explain it to me in one of these podcasts beforehand. Um, okay, so so that was your threshold. Okay, data, 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 focus. Data. focus I, I forgot there, there was focus. one more thing I wanted, um, languages too, because I had just added translations to the app and I wanted to, I was just curious. I, I knew the rough numbers already. That's how I picked which languages to support, but I wanted to know if it was working and all that stuff. Okay, so rough numbers, James. Out of 4,000, um, what is this? Yeah, users. I forget the time period, but 4,000 users, most recent 4,000 users. What percentage would you guess were using iOS 9? Hmm. iOS 9? Yeah, and actually I should bring these numbers up in front of me, but it's yeah, only, it's <laughs> they're only... off the top of my head. It's only like four years old. So I'm going to say 10%. No, 10%. I think because you're educational too. So I think maybe, you know, maybe a little bit. So 10% is my assumption. Final answer? 10%. 5%. 5%? That's a lot. Not That's bad. A lot. I mean, yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's a lot. Uh, the funny thing is, it's about the same uh, going up. So iOS 9, 5%. iOS 10, 5%. Uh, and what you see there is people are definitely stuck on a few devices because it's all the same kind of devices that show up in those lists when you drill down, which is great. That's what the Query Explorer is for. <laughs> so you can do the, these kind of correlations. Uh, they're nice and low numbers, though. Um, but it was on my edge of indecision, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but um, I want to get more accurate numbers. But the good news is that means that iOS 11 is clearly in the 90% iOS 11 and above. So there is the vast majority are on iOS 11. So this becomes the tricky part of what do you do with the data, but at least now I have the data. So the old versions, definitely people, they are not common. We're talking about 200 people out of the last 4,000 uh, ended up using it. It's still a decent percentage, right? Because if if it was 5% of my users, it'd be like five people, right? Because all my apps like nobody uses. But if you're Snapchat, right? <laughs> and 5% of, I don't know, 100 million people, that's a lot of people. 
So, <laughs> and then I guess the question becomes, it's not that you, you don't have to like drop support, right? What you're doing is you're just not giving them updates. And how does that work in the app store? I mean, if you were to update to version five and drop support in quotes for it, they just wouldn't get version five, but would version four still be available to them? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so this is something that gives me kind of a clear conscience because I was always worried about this exact problem. Uh, so when you upload a new version of your app, Apple asks you a somewhat weird question. They're like, does this contain very important security fixes that should uh, deprecate, get rid of all previous versions? And as long as you always say no to that, that no, this is not a critical update, then they will leave those older versions on for uh, older devices and mm -hmm. older operating systems. Yeah. Thank goodness <laughs> for that one. <laughs> However, if you do have a critical <laughs> fix and patch and update, <laughs> then I guess they would go away. Yeah. I, I Gosh, I... I I'm sure there's a very well-written document explaining all this. I think I'm oversimplifying it, to be honest. So uh, we'd have to look into details like that. Uh, James, I want to update you on some numbers. <laughs> so I just hit refresh. Okay. <laughs> so in the last 4,000, I still have no idea what time frame this is. Um, <laughs> in the last 4,000 users, only 100 have been using iOS 9. 90 using iOS 10, 11 using 80. So we could say still roughly 200 people are pre-iOS. Oh, I'm sorry. I misspoke. 200 people are uh, pre-iOS 11. Oh, too many numbers. I said it was going to be a data episode, though. <laughs> data episode, yeah. So, yep, yep. So 5% of the users are pre-iOS uh, pre pre 11. 11. And I think also... I just went through this on my phone. I have an iPhone six. Do you know what iPhone six does not get? iOS six does not get iOS 13. I believe that was on the latest round of not getting it. The iOS six S I believe is still updated. That is correct. I was uh, testing a bug in one of my libraries and I said, oh, I need to, I need to put a device on the latest beta. So I said, okay, and let me open update this phone. I open the phone, I hit update, I'm on iOS 12, and I know there's an update button, and I click OK, and I'm like, oh, it's weird, it's only iOS 12 dot whatever. I said, oh, maybe it needs to update to the latest iOS 12 before it updates iOS 13. I don't know what Apple did, you know, iOS 13's a hot mess. And then I enrolled it in the 13 beta, and, and it's like, no updates available, no updates available, and I go, oh, and this phone is done. <laughs> so this phone, th that's the best <laughs> thing, right? is because now I have a phone locked in time that will always be able to test iOS 12 because it will never update ever again. So it's great. Um, so I, that's exactly the phones I keep for all my testing are the ones that get stuck at these versions. And so I have, um, I have a test device that's each at its max version. And those are my best test devices because there's not too much point in me testing on two modern devices. So I always go back a few generations. They've been invaluable because uh, currently I do support iOS 9, obviously. That's why I have users. <laughs> and so that means I have to keep iOS 9 devices around to test on. 
that's one of the reasons I want to get rid of it. But another one is I have a 30 minute build time because supporting all those old architectures is very annoying. You have to do four compilations of the same app and it's a very slow build. And I would love to bring that build time down and throw away a bunch of if statements throughout all the code. But it's tough, man. Uh, five to 10%. Um, do you move on or not? No, probably not. Well, I mean, the, the question is for you, I think here's the difference is, well, now this comes to the other question is, are those users happy with the features that you have, right? They've already paid you for the product. So they've already paid you for what they have currently on the device. And are they happy with that product um, in its current form? Or are there bugs that will make them not get it or less likely to upgrade if you do a new version or do something else or introduce an in-app purchase, right? The the difference really ends up becoming, like, are those people going to, you know, recommend that to other people? But are your... Are, are there going to be new people, like if you drop support, are there going to be new people that basically would benefit from the new features that you're going to add to the application? Because your application, you're in a very lucky state and, and you know, is because it's, it's an app that you download once, you pay for it once, and then you're done. Unlike Snapchat, which is if you stop supporting that and you change your backend, then now that application can't update anymore, right? So... Um, that would be problematic in general um, to, to think about unless you keep an old service around and then you're managing two backends. So that becomes the problem. So I think for you, the question becomes, okay, these people are using it, but like, is it, is the application healthy on those devices? And, you know, uh, are they going to give me one star review because they're not happy and I'm not going to update them anymore? That's kind of the question you got to ask yourself, I guess, at that point. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would never abandon a group and abandon such a strong word, but abandon a group without making sure the app is super solid. The good news is it's a 10-year-old app. The core engine is about as solid as any code base is ever going to get, given its feature sets. There are architectural bugs, you could argue against, like it can't support certain things, but that's more about limitations of the engine and not a bug per se. Uh, but the kind of feedback I get from users now, because it is in, in that way so solid, is always just they want more elements, <laughs> more circuit elements, you know? So people always just want more features. And that's that's common throughout the existence of an app. You're just going to be adding that stuff. So when we talked about it's nice that I can upload a new version saying requires iOS 11, but it's not going to prevent anyone from using the old version. The problem is what you were saying about new users. Am I decreasing my market? Are there a bunch of iOS 10 users out there because a certain iPad is used and that iPad is used in a school somewhere? Mm. Then... Uh, I would feel a lot more icky about dropping it just so I can feel better about my build times, you know, as long as the build tools support it and it's within reason. I think I'm coming down on your side, but gosh, I can't wait to like wait a year and check <laughs> if I can drop iOS 9 yet. <laughs> yeah, because if so, that's the thing is, so if that number had come back at 
zero. I mean, would you have just immediately dropped it and said, bingo, bango, done. The telemetry tells me it's done, not good to go. Or would you have been like, you know what? I actually need to track this over X time to, to get it back. Yeah. You know, um, I think the engineer in me says uh, this number, this 5% is low enough that you can move on. Absolutely. Like um, Microsoft, I'm sure, has a much higher number for deciding which devices to support. And Apple has a much higher number for which devices to support. But at the same time, it's not that big of a burden to me. It's an annoyance. (laughs) It frustrates me. But the truth is, I've been dealing with it for 10 years. I know how to deal with it. It's fine. Um, But gosh, I, I do wish... The problem is, if I, if I had only ever showed myself percents, I would have been fine. I probably would have dropped it. But instead, I'm showing myself numbers, and those numbers represent people. So under the iOS 9 column, there's a number here, 121. That is 121 people on this planet Earth that I'm going to say, sorry, you're never going to get an update ever again. <laughs> it's not the worst thing. The app's in a good, solid place. but. Um, it 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 does change things when you think of it as people, not numbers. Yeah. All right. So we know the number of users now. What else have you gleaned from this data? And was anything actionable that like was you were you surprised by anything else? Like as you were sifting through this data that you put into the application or maybe removed from the application? Well, I think my biggest surprise is if um, I, I was looking through uh, that other number that I wanted, which um, elements are people actually using? What do they add to the circuit? Yeah, that's curious. And part of me was 100% justified. <laughs> I figured people are using this for pr- very basic circuits. And oh my God, yes, they are. <laughs> Resistors, <laughs> capacitors, diodes, <laughs> LEDs. Uh, they're, they're definitely up on that list. One thing that I was uh, really proud to see up on that list was the Arduino component because I'd put a lot of time into it. And so this list isn't just... Um, oh, I'm curious for the sake of curiosity. I almost see this as marketing and promotion. Like, do people notice that this thing supports Arduino and it's awesome and are they using it? And if they're not, then maybe I'll do some kind of pop-up or something and be like, hey, go use an Arduino. It's amazing. Uh, Things like that. So I was happy to see that what you would guess all the simple components are at the top of the list, but I was happy to also see that uh, the more advanced ones, I don't have a, you know, I, I ordered by count, but they don't give me like a, a ranking, like number one, number two, number three. So I'd have to count, but I'm going to say Arduino is around. Well, we have to talk about this. <laughs> I have a second subject, but our Arduino is around number 10. So that's pretty awesome. Oh, well, that's pretty good. Yeah. I'm really curious about like, I mean, for me, maybe you didn't do it yet, but maybe this will encourage you to do something else. Is like now that you have this data, and there's there's certain you know things that you're notice like maybe aren't used as much, or there's a lot of things that are being used. Like, have you thought about making changes to your application to try to adjust those numbers, like A/B test it? You know what I mean? 
A-B testing, I'm a little bit afraid of um, because I prefer to do stable updates over long periods. A-B testing means that you have to do quick updates over short periods. And I don't want to play games with my users if I'm not willing to make quick adjustments and follow through with them. One thing that I was hoping to capture, but I didn't quite capture, was event flows like what, what operations do people normally perform they do this then that then this then that and app insights has well i'm gonna start with it's an amazing tool that ostensibly does this so for every event it'll show you a graph of all the events that preceded it and 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 to see postseded it anteceded it whatever came after it <laughs> and um the problem is it's quite a dense graph with a billion lines because in an app, especially an editor like this, people do a million different operations and they do them in a million different orders. So it's basically every event is followed by every other event. Not too useful. Yeah. I found um, even when I do Google Analytics and I try to map like where people have gone through a, a website or something like that, or I've done that in my different apps, I was like, yeah, people are just like going in and like, you know what they do after they check in one user? They check in another user. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, like after out. they click it, it's like turns out. And I was like, you know, because like when I read an email, do you know what I do? I, I, I read the next email and then I read the next email and then I probably archive an email. And then you know what I do after that? I archive the next email. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it, it, it's like there's only so many things that I could have done. And then is that data even useful? Right. Is it useful that I swipe to delete, swipe to delete, and then read an email, right? That to me, what's more important is like, if I'm in Gmail, is there a reason that I long pressed, you know, to, to make it yeah. selectable is like, it, do I prefer to long press to do that or swipe away? Right. And that data is interesting in general, like how often am I swiping away or doing this? And do people know that you can swipe away? So should I make it a little pop up? Like, hey, did you know that you could do this? And a good test could be like for you, like how do you make it so your Arduino thing is actually fifth or fourth? Like, do people know mm -hmm. about it? Be like, hey, did you know that you can do Arduino? And like you do a little pop up in your app and then people are like, oh, I can do this. And then you could, um, you know, you could even have little questions in there. Like, did you know this was here? Yes or no. And then you could get that data back. And if they didn't, like this would be cool, right? Like, did you, like, did you know that you can use an Arduino? Yes, no. And if they say yes, like, you're like, cool, I don't do anything, right? Mm -hmm. But if you say no, and then there's a pop-up, it's like, let me tell you about this feature, right? And then, you know, you could use that telemetry to say, you know what? Everybody said yes, so I'm going to assume that people found it discoverable. But if everybody says no, that means that that feature was not discoverable at all. And like, that's actual real data that you could be like be using would be very insightful. I mean, I'm just telling you this. Uh, I'm just thinking of cool ideas for your app all of a sudden. And I know that yeah. your app is, uh, do you want to be my marketing the... team, James? Will you, will you come here and uh, do all this? That sounds absolutely wonderful. And it, it doesn't even sound that obnoxious. I like that. It's just a yes, no question. Have you, uh, have you, do you know about it? No. Well, here, here, look at it. Blink and led. Look at it. Blink. It's fun. <laughs> well, and imagine doing this for like more features going forward. So when you roll out the feature, you could maybe preemptively say, hey, this user updated my app, like it has the app in there. And then after 30 days, you know, 
app it, you know, do it, or mm-hmm. maybe after whatever, right. And you could, yeah. you could go and do that. And, um, and the thing is I would even pop it up for everybody. Cause if they maybe accidentally clicked it, they might not have known what it was. So it might be very useful to be like, Oh, this person actually, you know, 20% of the people actually went to the Arduino thing, but then they still answered no. Like the correlation there is like, they didn't know what that thing was, right? They, they may have seen it and clicked on it, but they didn't actually know what it was. So you could sort of map those three things together in a very nice little telemetry query, man, I'm really like, I should become like a data analyst or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what you want to do is capture intent. What, what were they trying to accomplish? What steps did they do? See, uh, do a group buy on intent <laughs> and then lo- <laughs> look at the variety of steps and see if you can simplify it. Wouldn't it be great if we could do uh, user studies and UI analysis like that? But we can't. It's still the 1970s. I'm happy to know that resistor is still the number one element. (laughs) Uh, But something uh, funny came up in my list here, and this is where I did incorrect data recording. Everyone, there are mistakes you can make. Um, I was very proud that I added translations to my app, but I was so eager that I seem to have translated a lot of the event data that I sent up to the analytics. Uh. And yeah and so for every element i have like chinese uh, the germans aren't top ranked in the list that might be japanese it's hard to tell but there's pretty much every language on the top of this list uh so everyone out there don't be like frank (laughs) if you're gonna record data make sure you normalize it to some language for me i'll probably pick english just because I know it. Um, So that was a small mistake. But a fun uh, outcome of that is that I see the Chinese translation is very popular and it's coming in at the top of the list here. (laughs) That's cool. I mean, that's actually really great. Um, I wish that you had the telemetry beforehand to be, to say, I mean, what would be very fascinating, right, is if you had the telemetry before putting in the translations and said, you know what, I'm seeing a lot of people from um, Japan install the app, but they only use it for X amount of time. And then afterwards, mm-hmm. hey, I put in the translations and now I see it go up or down because then you could say, was that investment necessary? And usually the answer for translations is always yes, but you know, are they correct? Like, did it, you know, was, was there other things that you could do in the IDE for those users and making that correlation again, you have to, you kind of have to have these, you, you, we could just sit here all day and come up with different, I I could just come up with different ideas for (laughs) you to research. Right. But then the question becomes, is that actionable? Like what, what are they trying to, what is their intent? And then what are the actions that you could actually take over it? Right. Because, um, because you can just come up with thoughts all day, basically, about telemetry. Yeah. Um, so what you quickly learn is there is definitely an art, maybe even a science, to picking which events you actually log. Uh, when I was first starting out, I was just high on the excitement of, look at look at this data flow of events and look at all this data I'm capturing. Uh, But now I see a lot of that was useless. Uh, For example, um, I log every time someone deletes something, I log what the type of a thing is. 
A, I don't care how often people delete things. It's not a part of like a complicated process. You're editing a circuit. People delete things all the time. I'm just wasting space recording that. Like there's no data to be gained from that. No, you know, no actionable items to be gained from that. Um, Boy, what else? (laughs) Every time they resize an element, I log that. That was stupid. So stupid. I got to take that log line out. Uh, There's another one that's a little interesting, though. and this this is one that I think is actionable, but I haven't actually dug in and done the analysis. Uh, every element has properties, and you can go change properties. I'd be curious to see which properties people change the most. Not because uh, not because I'm going to like take some away or remove them. They're lightweight, easy to support. It doesn't really matter to me. I want to know if my defaults are good. Like, is everyone changing a default value away because my default value is terrible? So I think that could be a nice actionable item to get out of this. Yeah, that's good. It's because you're you're actually learning from your telemetry, right? You're like, this telemetry, no good. However, this other thing could be really good. And then you you sort of have to adjust off of that. And like, you know, you then you make a new, uh, uh, you know, hypothesis off of it, like, which is that. I don't think that my, and sometimes they're, they can be the opposite. They're not to be always positive. You can say, oh, I don't think that people are, I don't think that my defaults are correct, right? Or I think that people are changing my defaults, like you're saying. And then, um, yeah, go from there. That'd be actually very insightful. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yep. Yep. So sounds like we both, well, we're nerds. We like data. It's fun, especially once you learn the query language. It becomes a lot more fun (laughs) when you don't know the query language. It's quite annoying. But um, yeah, I I can't wait to dig in more. And now that I've done one kind of deep analysis, I'm going to go through, check every one of my events, think through if there's data here that I'm actually interested in, because also like why collect data if it's not useful? That's just a waste. It's yeah, I don't. Sorry, I, I just wanted to throw in one nice thing is none of this is personally identifiable information. I can't get any user information. Everyone's a GUID, but they are GUIDs. And so you, you get to know a few of the GUIDs. Um, but, but like the less data, the better. I just want I want to collect data, make a decision and work from there. Yes, it's very true. Obviously, 84db3d1d hyphen 4035 hyphen 4099 hyphen 8535-D4ECA5656E39 really likes default transistors. There is there is a GUID that comes up at the top of almost every query that I do. And I'm like, you're a champ. You you're just covering all the bases. Power user. Power yeah. user. I like that. And and I will say that. Yeah, you, 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 I think you're right there, right there in that analysis of you should feel very comfortable removing telemetry if it's not important. I've done that in a lot of my applications. I got to the point in, um, in one of my apps where I just, I removed everything besides the information about like the devices. I said, I don't need to track anything. Nothing that mm-hmm. I put in and tracked was useful at all. Right. And if I need to go back and maybe do some of this A B testing for features, Yes, but what I realized is that this app, this application that I have does not, pro- you know, it's not providing any, you know, yeah. it's real useful data. Now, that could mean that maybe I was just tracking the wrong data, but, you know, that could be the for other sure, thing. For sure. <laughs> There's a whole science here, I, I hear. Um, but yeah, I honestly, I think I'm going to reduce this down to two events. Uh, they're the ones that I get the most data from. Everything else is just, as you would expect, kind of just 
more noise than signal, I guess, as they say. <laughs> yeah, because putting in putting in telemetry for the sake of putting in the tre- te- uh, telemetry, putting in telemetry for the sake of putting in telemetry usually does not yield good results. Putting in very specific, r- rational reasons of telemetry is what is important, right? Or reporting telemetry when stuff goes wrong to help you diagnose why it went wrong, right? So if you track an exception, you can actually pass additional uh, data, like basically events to it. So what you could do, by the way, is you could have a bunch of like information and state, right? Because now you're just like sending a bunch of events. But what if you had, you know, your own mini in-app tracking, like if you're doing it to log, but it's just in memory, right? And then some crash happens. And then when that crash happens, like here's a list of events that led up to that crash, right? But you only need it for that crash because I don't need it for every single person. So there's a lot of different ways of using those telemetry, like, you know, telemetry that we said to diagnose stuff is helpful to, to glean information. But really, you can use telemetry when things go wrong in your application to make it better. I think that's really valuable um, data. Yeah, uh, we went this whole episode without talking about errors. Maybe we'll talk about errors another time. But that, what you just described, changed how I handle errors in all my apps. So I'm a I'm a classic try, catch all, log error person. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't like my crashing apps. I'd rather just try to move on with life, you know, but log it, log it and upload it to a server so I can find out that it's happening. But um, it turns out like a stack trace isn't always enough, especially in the async world. Stacks can easily get lost if you're um, bouncing around between managed and native. Stacks can get lost very easily, especially if you're doing async managed and native. And so every time I call log dot log this error, I pass in a context string or data. I have both overloads, but usually just a string. And I just, in plain English, say, this is what I was trying to do at this point. Just a nice, simple sentence. You know, I don't overdo it, but something that I can easily um, search for in the code. And that kind of explains everything right in app center itself right in your face it's not hidden in a stack i don't have to go dig through something it says people were trying to add an arduino element something crashed yeah yeah that's good i like that that's uh that that is that's when data becomes like useful right and and all these different sort of ways of using it so Hmm. Fun times. Well, thanks for letting me talk about uh, my nerdy times of learning a new query language and building lots of graphs and dashboards. I could say a lot about web UIs, but eventually you can learn this thing and it becomes powerful. In the beginning, it's very frustrating, though. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad that I'm glad that I'm glad that it was a relatively positive outcome, right? Because I know, like, really early on talking with you and probably even on the podcast, if we go back 170 episodes, you were very anti four years ago, Frank, you were very like anti anything. You would not even, like you said, track crashes or do anything in in your application. So it's, um, it's peculiar, not peculiar, but it's, it's, it's good to sort of see that you gave it a try and, and, and you're like, if it works awesome, if it doesn't work, then I can just remove it. I think that's always the nice thing of it too, is 
is that. But I also believe it's a really nice time because all these backend systems have to be super GDRP, GDRP, GDPR compliant, <laughs> GDRP, like too much Google remote protocols, um, GDPR compliant, which means that kind of when you use a lot of these systems, just like you're not doing any of that personal identifiable information unless you are reporting it yourself. And don't do that. Don't <laughs> report user data ever. That's silly. So anyways, well, Frank, I'm glad that you did it and I'm happy for you. And I, I'm, I hope that you maybe listen to some of these crazy experiments that I would like for you to try. And I think that would be really fun to talk about one, how you implement it. And then if you actually get data and actionable things from it, I'm just saying, I know it's the holidays are coming up, but you know, <laughs> Do it. I just, I, I hate pitting the elements against each other because the way I see it, each one of those little icons in iCircuit is like a mini app because each one is kind of a little mini app. So I'm like pitting my children against each other. I'm like, who's ranked higher in the list? Oh, so sad. <laughs> yeah, that is sad. Ugh. All right. Well, before we get out of here, Frank, we do have an indie classified read um, from. Nice. Timo Partle, that is um, um, that is his name, Timo Partle, and he has an application called Working Hours. This is for iOS, Android, and Windows, of course, built with C Sharp and Xamarin. Um, Timo is a developer, solo developer from Germany, and he made this application for freelancers and also for employees who work from home so they can track his or her hours. It's just a few clicks to get starting. Um, and honestly, what happens is you just start tracking your hours. There's powerful features like tags, filters. You can export to Excel because who doesn't love Excel, Excel spreadsheets? Um, you can do a whole bunch of other things like um, get notifications, widgets, live tiles, NFC tags, geofencing. You can do a whole bunch of really deep integration into it, which is really, really nice. They have is Cloud Sync built right into it. And the app is free to use. There is a pro version. It's a one-time purchase, no subscriptions. And you can even try that pro version for seven days. Go down into the show notes. You'll see working hours right there. You can go to Timo Partle, T-I-M-O-P-A-R-T-L.com slash working hours. Check out that application and all of his other applications. So thanks, Timo, for being an awesome solo dev and for that classified ad. That's awesome. I love indie yeah. ads. Yeah. Thank you. All right, Frank, I got to go. Um, and people don't know, but this episode is coming out on a, I'll be back <laughs> in the country. Well, I mean, I'll be out there. So also, I'm, it was supposed to be a quick one at the beginning. James said, w w let's try to make this a quick one. I'm like, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Mm -hmm. And we're staring at 54 minutes. Great. Yeah. So now I got to go edit this. Well, have a great night, Frank, and a great weekend. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll talk to you when I'm back in the country. How's that sound? Safe travels. Bon voyage. <laughs> Bye, buddy. <laughs>